The Pre-Med Year, session number 180. Hello and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Now, as this podcast is releasing here in May of 2016, application season is opening. And to help prepare you for your interviews, go to medicalschoolhq.net and check out our services. We offer one-on-one mock interview prep to help you make sure that you are on top of your game when it comes to the medical school interview. We also have a book coming out. I can't guarantee when that will be released, but if you want more information on that, go to medschoolinterviewbook.com to get notified. Today's interview is an awesome one with Dr. Brett Ferdinand, who has turned into one of the biggest MCAT prep gurus out there. And you can find his stuff at goldstandard.com. That's gold-standard.com or mcatprep.com, which is mcat-prep.com. And we're going to cover the 10 myths of the new MCAT for you today. We had a bunch of fun on this call. Brett's an awesome guy. I hope you get a ton of great information out of this interview, this discussion with Brett. Listen through to the end of this podcast, and we'll let you know how you can save some money on Gold Standard's MCAT test prep. Let's go ahead and welcome Brett to the show. Brett, welcome to the Pre-Med Years. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Now, before we dig into some awesome MCAT content, I want to find out exactly your path to medical school. What what motivated you to become a physician back in the day? Well, you know, I have one of those uh, boring stories where I was in kindergarten and I used to write Dr. Brett Ferdinand on all my tests, and uh, the teacher actually got upset (laughs) and actually had my parents come in (laughs) because she thought I was overdoing it. I actually wrote in brackets, uh, bone surgeon, and uh, with the with J instead of G for surgeon. <laughs> anyway, um, so I really did start young, and I, I had that, uh, that 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 real strong desire to to enter medicine. And uh, later on, I ended up uh, um, s- uh, studying uh, physics and math in undergrad, and then uh, uh, taking the uh, MCAT. And actually, if it wasn't for the fact that I didn't have enough money to take the MCAT in my sophomore year, <laughs> then uh, I wouldn't be here. But uh, I, I ended up having to uh, take it after uh, my junior year, and that gave me more time to think about the MCAT, and then I started writing. I started writing uh, the first uh, my first book on the MCAT that was more than 25 years ago, if you could believe that. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and then I took an MCAT, which is very different from today's uh, exam, and uh, it had five sections, five sections. It had a new section they were just going to introduce, which was the uh, writing sample. And uh, it had these other four multiple choice sections. And that went great, and I was accepted to all the medical schools uh, to which I applied. And um, then I ended up going to medicine, uh, becoming a surgeon. And um, but my MCAT part of me just took over, and I uh, continued to write books, make websites, and practice exams, and so on. 
What is it about the MCAT that that sucked you in? Problem solving. Uh, And of course, it's something we do in medicine all the time. We're always having patients coming in and so on. But I suppose I did my undergrad in physics and math, and, uh, and that was missing uh, when I went uh, through medical school. Yes. So I guess it was uh, using um, basic sciences, physics, math, general chemistry, organic chemistry, which I love. Um, all these things, as you go deeper and deeper into medicine, of course, you go further and further away from those subjects. Yeah, that's awesome. Today, I want to talk with you about some of the myths surrounding the new MCAT. I know as as humans, we hate change. And you're talking about taking the MCAT 25 years ago was different than the MCAT from two years ago, which is very different from the MCAT that students are seeing now post-2015. Absolutely. Is, what is, in your mind, before we dig into the, the, the myths, uh, which I, I want to dig into, but in, in your mind... What is the biggest fear with the MCAT for students? Well, right now for this new MCAT, uh, one of the big fears that everybody you know talks about is the uh, biochemistry. And one of the fears that students are not talking about is the full day testing experience and what that does to your body and mind. And uh, I think that should be more on their mind than just uh, one particular subject. But biochemistry has incited a lot of concern and fear for students. Yeah. Do, do you think that's just, again, because it's changed and we haven't seen biochemistry on the MCAT in, in such a way that it is now, and so they, they don't know what to expect? Uh, uh, it's exactly this. Because when you look at the content for biochemistry, it's similar to the experience with biology for the previous exam. If you look at the topic list, the the actual content, it's a lot of content. (laughs) And a student can feel uh, just taken aback by um, trying to memorize all the different mechanisms, the metabolic pathways, and so on. But when you actually see real uh, AAMC MCAT questions, then um, you see that it's not about that. It's not about the details of the pathways. It's having an overall understanding of the pathways, the main features, of course, the main features, but the great majority of the questions are going to be reasoning-based. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing, the, the test. And, and obviously one of the biggest fears of, it, of, of going into it is the fact that it is like the speed bump to overcome on the way to an acceptance. And so I, I understand the fear behind it. I, I obviously took it way back. I, th- I think I was one of the last ones to take a paper-based test uh, back in, when was that, in 2001? Uh, way back right. in the day. Um, and obviously you took it before then. So I, I hated the, the experience. Uh, I don't know if you remember. You obviously like the experience because you're doing this day in and day out. <laughs> I dreaded the experience. So I think I'm mostly, I'm, I'm like most pre-meds where I just dreaded, dreaded the experience. Wow. So what I'm hoping to do is that one of the things that I hope, uh, you know, we can do today is to 
encourage students to see this as a brand new learning experience. That, this is the big surprise. And I, I don't believe it was true for you. It wasn't true for, for me when we um, took the MCAT exam. But this new MCAT, I honestly believe uh, that if they prepare well for this MCAT, it's not just about performing better for, on the MCAT. I believe that they will be better doctors as a result. I like that. I like that. So hopefully we'll dig into that. And at the end of this discussion, hopefully uh, the students listening will, will hear that as well and understand that. So let's let's dig into these top 10 myths. Do you have uh, a rank order from from least myth to biggest myth, or do we just have 10 that we want to go through? Uh, I think uh, we'll go from uh, least to biggest myth. All right. Yes. I like that. <laughs> All right, so so Brett, let's start off at the least. Is that the right even term? Least myth, the smallest myth, I guess. It sounds fun. Let's try it. Least myth. So so number ten on our list, we'll call it. This is like a uh, Tonight Show countdown. Exactly, exactly. I just need a drummer. Maybe I'll get him for the last one. Oh, I can I can add some sound effects in later, maybe. Oh, wonderful! That's great. <laughs> so, uh, number 10, since the exam is standardized, the exam day is basically the same for everyone. Sounds reasonable. Yeah. It's a standardized and, and, exam. And most people listening to that will go, oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why, why not? They worked hard to make it that way. But there's a few things to keep in mind. One is about the exam, which I'll just mention in a moment. But one is about the exam day. Um, generally, we don't really think about the exam day experience in its entirety. And I'm hoping that at the end, with a few hints here and there, uh, students will keep this in mind. Because every day is going to be different. The weather is going to be different. <laughs> Some location will have an overzealous air conditioner in which you have to be uh, dressed in layers. Another location may have a winter storm <laughs> that is occurring. Um, the guy next to you might have a nervous tick and their leg is bouncing up and down <laughs> and you can feel the vibration on your table. I mean, there are so many different experiences that you can have. And although you will try to prepare for more or less everything, you can't. And so some students are really taken aback by some small feature of the exam day that uh, disturbed them. But they have to keep their mind open to many different possibilities. So standardizing an exam is partly aspirational. They're going to do their best. But, you, of course, you have to be flexible. And I do want to mention something about the content. I, I have some uh, quotes from Reddit, you know, students who, who've taken the new MCAT, they go home, they go online, and they chat about it. So uh, one of the comments from a student was, holy enzyme kinetics. <laughs> Another another student wrote, please study your amino acids in depth. Isn't that such a polite thing to say in a forum nowadays? Yeah. Everyone, please study your amino acids in depth. Uh, one student wrote, barely any physics problems. Another one, very little physics. Another one, wow, high physics. I wound up with multiple physics and calculation-heavy problems. 
Virtually no chemistry for me. Heavy calculations, arg. Lots and lots of physics for me. A lot of biochemistry, plus, 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 orgo. Tons of orgo. A lot of orgo in physics. Very little orgo. <laughs> I'm seeing a trend here. Exactly. You know, the only solution is to prepare for all contingencies and to understand that not everybody is going to have the same exam experience. So you have to prepare for that. And of course, you know, that's one of the problems about going into some of the forums is that uh, some forums, there will be a student who will speak uh, from the mountaintop with a great confidence that this is the way it is. However, there is a plethora of experiences with the new exam, and it will continue to be so because of the way they have to distribute different questions and different exams and so on, because they know some students will repeat exams in the same year, which we'll also talk about later. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a big, a, a huge point and something I, I know I talk a lot about when students come to me and say, oh, I know that the test is going to be super heavy in, in biochemistry because that's what my, my friend experienced. And I said, did, did you know that every day that the test is offered that not everybody's taking the same test? And they go, oh, really? <laughs> so it's a, a good one to start with. What is the number nine least myth? <laughs> <laughs> so number nine on the myth list, I will learn everything before the exam. <laughs> That's just funny. <laughs> yeah, so it comes up, there's a couple of interesting angles on this. First, I would have to say, in a traditional exam, you, you actually can learn what you need to ace the test before you take the test, right? You know, if, if you go into a traditional exam and you repeat everything the teacher told you in class the teacher will call you brilliant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's traditional. But for the MCAT, much of the learning that you need to aid comes the test. This is not an easy thing for um, students who've been trained for years in a particular way, way of learning. That now, during the exam, I have to learn new things and apply that in the exam within the restricted time to be able to solve the practice problems. Very challenging. It's a different way of thinking. I, I remember in one, of you, um, uh, one of the people you interviewed uh, not so long ago said, uh, you know, definitely correctly, that uh, it's not that uh, practice makes perfect, it's that perfect practice makes perfect, yeah. you know, and... Uh, so one of the things students tend to do, and this is this is something that you know you can do for for fun sometimes, is you go to eBay, and you put uh, MCAT there or MCAT books, and you will see how some students have accumulated a personal MCAT library. <laughs> you know, and and it seems it's almost as if it's an objective. If I can have more books. I will either know more or perhaps it will encourage me to study more or I'm not fully sure, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's, it's as if they want to develop that library, you know, sort of move into their library, you know, uh, decorate it and et cetera. But if I were to, you know, 
have an analogy for MCAT preparation. I would say it's like moving into an empty apartment. You know, my my brother had uh, told me when I was in in college that uh, when you move into an apartment, don't decorate it fully as soon as you get in. Just put the very basics that you need. And then over time, you get a certain comfort with the shape, the design, the sun, the whatever about the apartment. And then you start moving in things that you like in the different parts. And I believe that that's the way MCAT preparation uh, needs to be, that students need to start very early in their MCAT prep go online, do some Khan Academy passages, or get the uh, MCAT official guide from the AAMC very early, do some practice uh, passages so that you get a concept of it. You're not going by rumors. You're not, you know, uh, getting all uptight about what somebody said online. You're seeing it from the AAMC uh, themselves or a source that the AAMC has has, uh, granted. And then... Once you've done that, now based on your personality, then you can start decorating your apartment. You can start deciding, is it more on videos? Is it more uh, reading content that I need? Um, and then you start building your, your preparation. I like and of course, it has to be problem-based learning. And that, uh, that takes you away from just this knowledge-based um, way of thinking, um, repeating your notes and being brilliant, that's not going to work for the new MCAT. It's uh, problem-based right from the outset. And if that is your routine, uh, then you can walk into the exam with confidence because you're a problem solver and you're looking forward. What is the next problem? What's the next story? What will the next passage be about? What what new information will I learn about this amazing world we live in? <laughs> and, and let me figure out an answer to this question. Now, now, based on my basic knowledge. Now, now, I <laughs> I, I kind of think that uh, you're you're turning the MCAT into the next uh, Harry Potter novel here that that we're <laughs> yearning for. I don't know if I'd go that far, but it sounds good. Uh, I just want to clarify one thing that you mentioned: the the problem based learning. With when you say problem based learning, you're you're talking talking about doing actual like practice questions, correct? Yeah. So I would say that, you know, the natural transition is to spend, uh, start with some knowledge-based questions, move on to practical application questions, and then uh, full-length practice tests. So that way, two-thirds of your time when you're practicing should be some form of uh, higher learning processes that you're applying. Okay. Makes sense. All right. So that was a good one. What's number eight on our list? So number eight, cars is a reading section. It's, <laughs> it's not that important. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, of course, there's reading in cars as there are for all the other ones. But, of course, reasoning is, is a core element of uh the cars section and because it's one quarter of your score and frankly i'm not so sure and i don't think the aamc is so sure how if um all medical schools will take the psychology sociology score as seriously 
as the other three scores, which are more established over many years. Uh, of course, the scores aren't exactly correlating with uh, the past version of the exam, but mostly they correlate in terms of physics, chemistry, and uh, biology, um, uh, organic chemistry, and some biochemistry. So, um, CARS definitely correlates, of course, with uh, verbal reasoning, the past verbal reasoning. It's the same section except for the natural science passages have been removed. But in terms of social sciences and humanities, it's it's the same, same types of questions, same reasoning. And uh, this, you know, cannot be ignored. A very good thing a lot of students um, who score very well with the new exam do is is they have they have in their mind, I'm going to do one or two passages a day from the beginning of my uh, MCAT preparation. And then, you know, of course, eventually you'll be doing full-length exams, but at least one or two passages a day. And there's no excuse anymore because there's so many questions that uh, the AAMC has uh, with their question packs. And there's so many questions that Khan Academy has. Uh, they don't have a ton of cars, but they're, they've got a lot, and it's growing. And there's many other resources, of course. So, um, And, of course, there's other things that students are doing, The Economist, New York Times editorial, books, uh, finding areas where they're reading actively. It's not just a matter of reading, but uh, reading actively, questioning yourself, trying to always get the global idea. How would you summarize it? What is the point of view of the author? Uh, things like that. Yeah. So just just because there aren't equations to memorize for this section doesn't mean that it's an easier section. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. In fact, um, you know, it because of the reasoning, the amount of thinking involved, um, I think, I, I believe that there's as much reasoning involved in CARS as there are for all the other sections of the exam, except psychology, sociology. Yeah. <laughs> It is the only section. It's kind of strange the way they designed it um, in that uh, there are numerous questions that if you, if you did just read it before, if you have the knowledge, you can get the question right. And um, so, of course, there's less excuse um, because it's just a matter of studying, but it's less in tune with the rest of the exam, let's say. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. Too. I think they did that on purpose. I think they did it on purpose because um, even though we talked about the biopsychosocial approach during medical school, I'm sure you've heard that expression in medical school. I never heard it before medical school. Um, we didn't really get training in psychology or sociology during medical school, but we did have biochemistry and physiology and so on. So the only subject, you know, along the... Um, uh, MCAT assumed knowledge topics that we don't get training in medical school is psych-soch. So it's almost as if they want to make sure that you retained or remembered some of that knowledge before moving on. But that's just uh, speculation. Yeah. Okay. What is number seven? Our, our seventh least MCAT. <laughs> <laughs> So, number seven is every question counts. All right. What does that mean? So, this is so when a, when a student is uh, taking the exam, 
um, you know, they sometimes they get very nervous when they see a question they don't fully understand or they can't get to it. They're not finishing it in less than two minutes because, of course, one one and a half minutes is is a good you know amount of time to finish a question. But if it's getting over two minutes. Uh, you have to assess the value of the question and how close you are to finishing because uh, you don't want to be in a situation where you, you didn't see the last five or ten questions of the exam that you could have done very well because you spent too much time on a f- one or two or three questions because there's a couple of issues. One is, of course, the whole scaled score system. The scaled score system means that um, even if you miss one or two questions here and there, uh, the likelihood is you would get the same score as if you didn't miss those one or two questions. That's the likelihood of, uh, and that's why scaled scores were uh, created, to create more balance and uh, less of a stochastic you know, uh, situation. So there's that. There's also the fact that some, um, some exam questions are not scored. The AAMC will have some... Uh, uh, exam questions that will be field tested or uh, help to scale the exam in some way or may be used in the future and they're trying to see um, you know, how students respond to a particular question. So imagine spending three or four minutes on a question that won't even be scored and uh, then not finishing that section of the exam. That would be a disaster. <laughs> so um, understanding that not every question uh, necessarily counts, uh, I think, is one feature to have in every uh, student's mind in terms of balancing the time uh, that you're using during the exam, improving your examinship so that you are able to express yourself with the, the optimally with all the questions that are based on things that you have knowledge of or you think you can reason. And then if you hit a brick wall, well, then it's okay. Walk away from it and then continue on with the other content. Do you think students should have for every question that, that internal clock going, that, that timer saying, okay, I, I, I'm starting at two minutes and if I don't, I don't answer the question in two minutes, I'm moving on? I think that uh, generally this should develop as they're doing many um, exams, they should have that little alarm. But I'm not going to say that every single time that alarm goes off, it's time to move on. Because sometimes uh, the person is at the edge of answering it correctly. But they have to also have the sense that, look, I can mark this question. First, I should answer it. <laughs> and I can mark it. And um, then I, I can come back later if I have the time. And I think that those are very reasonable things uh, to do. Yeah, and, and marking it for if you're listening and, and you don't understand what that means. In, in the software that you're using to take the test, you can put a little flag up and you can see which questions you've marked to review. So it's an easy way of going back once you're done answering as many questions as you can and you have a little time left. All right, number six. I can take the MCAT as often as I like. <laughs> and I've, I've heard people that have taken it a lot of times. <laughs> and uh, it, it was true in my day, and it was, it was, it was true in your day as well. Yep. <laughs> um, it was possible. But, um, well, first of all, of course, 
every student should have in mind, the MCAT is a full day exam. It is a stressful enough experience that one would want to minimize <laughs> one exposure to the exam. <laughs> Um, but and that aside, in terms of the practical uh, aspects, uh, for the first time ever, uh, the AAMC has uh, come up with some rules about retaking the exam. And that is that uh, one could only take the exam up to three times in a single year, four times during a two consecutive year period, and seven times in a lifetime. So um, there are restrictions. Now, of course, the great majority of students are not getting anywhere near seven times. I'm happy to have only taken the exam uh, uh, once, but I would have done it, uh, you know, if I had to, um, again, because I enjoyed the experience. And, um, but um, I don't think that most people enjoy the experience, as you've already stated. And I do believe that with the quantity of of um, preparation uh, available to students, um, both free and fee-based. I, I don't see a reason that a student doesn't uh, would need to take the exam as often as uh, three or four or five times. Yeah, I I like your your first theory thrown out there that you just want to minimize the amount of pain coming at you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, that's a good one. Number five, halfway there. Okay, a high MCAT score is vital for medical school admissions. Mm, okay. Um, of course, this this is browbeaten into people's uh, uh, imagination. And this new marking scale, how fascinating it is. Because when um, when a student had an 8 out of 15 in the old markings scale, that does not look encouraging uh, for medical school admissions. Of course, most medical schools would want a 10 out of 15 average through the three sections, so a 30. Uh, most medical that would be an average for medical school admissions for most medical schools. And then uh, you would have the medical schools, Ivy League schools, that would be averaging about 12 out of 15 uh, for each section. But 8 out of 15 still, by the way, was uh, possible to get into a few, a very few uh, medical schools, but possible. But it was not a, a score that was admired. The AAMC has created this new marking system because of data that was showing that students who were scoring eight and nine on the old uh, exam were faring just as well for the USMLE um, and other uh, aspects of uh, medical school education as their counterparts. And so it was to say that we need to create a new system, a new scale, so that people feel at ease with the mid-range so to feel more at ease with students who are scoring uh, around 500, and for me, it reminds me of a it reminds me of a, a surgeon, which um, I'm sure you've seen. Uh, in fact, most surgeons who are doing research are likely researching something that will make surgery less necessary, and so the AMC has designed a way to minimize the MCAT score 
on medical school admissions. At least that, that is their stated intention. Whether or not it will do so, we will see in the future. But the stated intention, the understanding from the medical schools is uh, based on the research is that the MCAT score is not as important as what uh, would have been thought in your admission cycle or in my admission cycle. Yeah, I it's it's so hard to and and it, oh man, <laughs> that's such a loaded one because we're we're taught right that it's GPA and MCAT those are the gatekeepers to the application cycle and and medical schools get so many thousands of applications and they have to sort and and rank by something and so GPA and MCAT those are the easiest things so it's it's hard in my mind to see medical schools not using the MCAT still as, as a bigger part of their, uh, their admissions process. Well, what the hope is, um, we'll see how it'll play out is, well, first of all, I agree with you entirely. And in fact, on our website, mcatprep.com, we, we actually have an admissions calculator based on actual admissions rates to uh, um, medical schools in the U.S. over a 10-year period. And students can actually put their GPA and their MCAT score, new MCAT or old MCAT score, and calculate the percentage chance of uh, medical school admissions based on the AAMC data. So, Absolutely. In terms of correlation, MCAT and GPA has a strongest correlation. But what the hope is, is that um, is that medical schools will put more emphasis on the personal statement, other application materials, hopefully the MMI, which has a stronger correlation towards a uh, um, person's uh, clinical performance than, than the MCAT has shown. And so if these are true uh, you know, research-based ways to improve the quality of physicians at the end. A little less importance on the MCAT, more importance on a medical school interview like the MMI, and uh, then perhaps uh, an improvement in the clinical skills of future doctors. I like it. Yeah. And I, I'm a huge believer in the MMI, and I, I hope most schools transition to that at some point in the near future. Hopefully. All right. Let's, uh, we're, we're almost to the top three. Let's go with the number four least MCAT myth. Okay. <laughs> okay. So number four, it's only about the test. It's very crazy. natural. <laughs> it's very natural for students to focus on the exam itself. They, they have a topic list. They, they have some practice questions. They work through that. And that's all they, uh, that has to be their, their focus. It's natural. They've been trained that way. But um, this is unusual exam. And there are some peripheral matters that, that everybody's sort of heard of, they've heard whispers of, but this can significantly um, affect your experience. One is stamina. This, this is not a sprint. It, it's a marathon. And uh, to prepare for a marathon, you can't do sprints all week, wake up at three o'clock in the morning, do another sprint, go to sleep, and then, you know, just 
have a random schedule in anticipation of then running a marathon, it's not going to uh, be the optimal experience. To have the optimal experience, of course, you have to run some practice marathons, but you have to live the experience. So I I believe for one or two weeks before the exam, um, students should live their daily lives as uh, similar to the exam day um, that they can. You wake up when you would wake up. If you're going to be waking up at 6.30 or 7 o'clock for the exam day, that's when you wake up and uh, you have breakfast at whatever time. You have the same kind of lunch that you more or less that you're expecting and you don't have supper until you know the end of the day or uh, you don't take any afternoon naps. <laughs> Um, you try to maintain uh, your your body, your nutrition, everything in the most stable way possible in anticipation of the exam day. I know for some people it'll sound a little bit extreme, but some people get tired in the middle of the afternoon or um, they lose concentration and they don't know why. They're not sure um, or they're uncomfortable um, with their trip to the exam center. You know, another thing that I would suggest, going to the test center uh, before the exam, if possible, uh, to see what the trip is like, the, the traveling, or at least have it very clear in your mind so you visualize the experience. And watch the video online about the exam day security. Some students are shocked to (laughs) walk in and uh, someone is going up and down, uh, you know, checking uh, for security, checking for if they have any uh, metal uh, hidden anywhere or uh, things of that nature. They have to put things away in a locker. Just all these little things that sometimes throw a person off, uh, make them extra nervous on the exam day. But if you've seen the video about the exam, you know, the AMC links to it from their website and Prometric has it. You can just uh, Google it. Um, You you watch uh, their uh, video or videos. You go to your test center. You live the exam experience. And then uh, you will have a more optimal experience. Yeah, even even being fingerprinted on exam day, and I'm sure yeah. it's it's mostly the older population that is uh, more worried about their personal privacy. But it, on on exam day, you have no privacy. You're you're giving up everything <laughs> to Prometric to to make sure that you're not uh, cheating and copying the tests and doing anything to uh, gain a gain an advantage. All right. Let's get into the top three now. What's the number three least MCAT myth? Now you have to know more content for the new MCAT than any other standardized exam. I love this one. And, you know, I could see why students would think that. It seems so. You have psychology, sociology, physics, chemistry, Statistics, some very basic statistics to know, organic chemistry, biochemistry, biology, yikes. (laughs) But uh, there's an expression I'm going to say for the first time in my life right now that uh, I hope catches on a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So not drill and kill, not lots, but hots. Okay, (laughs) 
So drill and kill is an expression used for um, very knowledge-based tests and exams in which you sort of do mindless practice and, uh, well, it ends up killing your motivation to learn. But uh, I would say that there are some exams, a lot of exams in undergrad where you can just drill and then kill the exam, do extremely well. But it's it, that's nothing uh, like the exam. In fact, um, one of the things uh, we have in our CARS program, but anybody can find it online just by uh, Googling it, is, uh, is Bloom's taxonomy. Yep. Uh, you know, this, it's perfect. It, it so describes uh, the MCAT exam. You see at the bottom, at the very bottom, you see knowledge and remembering questions. And then you start working up and then you have the understanding and comprehension then you work up a little higher and then you have application questions. And now we're starting to talk about the MCAT. And then even higher, there's analysis. And then even higher, there's synthesis. Uh, and then it goes a little higher than the MCAT will go, which is creation. I don't think anybody will be uh, creating new content uh, for uh, during the exam in a minute and a half per question. But um, uh, there's lots, which are the lower order thinking skills, which is things like knowledge. And then there's HOTS, which are the higher order thinking skills, which are applying and analysis and uh, synthesis. And the, this, is, this is describing, summarizing uh, what the MCAT is. And I, th I think you've mentioned uh, that uh, um, there was an article written about, um, about the uh, fact that among the different uh, standardized exams, uh, the MCAT has the least amount of lower order uh, skills, the least amount of existing knowledge in order to um, answer questions correctly. Yeah, that was a, a 2008 science uh, journal article about Bloom's uh, taxonomy and the MCAT myth and talking about how and as as you just said, that, that how most people think the MCAT is a content based test, and it's it's not at all. So, all right, number two. Some questions are designed to trick me. <laughs> the myth is all of them are right. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> I'm trying to be a little politically correct <laughs> in this Trump season. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, and I can understand, you know, coming from a certain perspective, how it could feel that way sometimes uh, when you look at the wording, the, you know, the tricky wording, the not, and then it's a double negative during uh, the uh, answer choices. But I do think, you know, taking a step back will permit uh, people to understand. And I think one of the issues is, of course, um, you know, one of our courses we had was evaluating a pharmaceutical, some uh, claims that some pharmaceutical uh, companies were making. And of course, most pharmaceutical companies, I'm sure, have uh, uh, good ethics, but some uh, pharmaceutical companies will use graphs, tables, and diagrams in ways that are clearly trying to uh, minimize the truth 
is not diplomatic enough to say. So um, it's very important uh, to be able to evaluate graphs, tables, diagrams, uh, research experiments um, in a uh, in a very in a clear way to look for what is right and what is wrong and to pay attention to the wording because later on uh, in your life uh, patients lives uh, will depend on that and my sister is a pediatrician uh, she did her postdoctoral training at Harvard actually uh, I think she would she would be very upset with me that I called her a pediatrician she's a neonatologist so <laughs> subspecialty within pediatrics <laughs> and uh, in her profession, my goodness, the details. Uh, you know, uh, students talk about um, dimensional analysis in uh, preparation for the MCAT, especially the new MCAT has more dimensional analysis than the previous version did. And she would, she's always walking around with a calculator, making calculations based on the uh, the infant's uh, weight. And some, some, sometimes we're talking about a human being who is one pound. Um, you know, so if you can imagine that. And, uh, and so the calculations when you're giving medications that would literally uh, kill an adult, the calculations have to be extremely precise. And... Uh, this is part of medicine, is, is that kind of precision that is required. And so it's not the purpose to trick the student, but it's the purpose to get the student uh, um, develop those kinds of skills to pay attention to the details because people's lives will depend on that skill one day. I wholeheartedly agree with that, obviously, being on, on this side of the training, the 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 trust and the the importance of of taking care of another human being is is important so i i like that analogy of of how the mcat is just priming you for that making sure that you're you're somebody who pays attention to the details all right absolutely we're down to number 1 brett what is the the biggest MCAT. I'm glad I don't have to say least anymore. <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's the biggest MCAT myth out there for the new MCAT? So the number one new MCAT myth, drum roll, please. I'll add that in. <laughs> <laughs> I can't practice yet. I can't practice yet. What does that mean? When students are considering... Um, the new MCAT. They've done what they had to do. They did some uh, online searches about what it means to be a doctor. They did some volunteer work. Whatever they did in their lives to decide that they want medicine as a career or for whatever reason they have to take the MCAT. Uh, in my opinion, uh, that is the day that they should go online to any um, uh, resource that the AMC has some online practice questions, believe it or not. They, they do have a small um, um, a PDF of uh, 12 uh, practice questions with some passages. Also, of course, Khan Academy has lots of passages. But once the decision is made, even if um, you're a high school student who have done some, you know, uh, AP courses, uh, freshmen, you know, you're thinking about the MCAT, 
do a few passages. Just do a few questions about it. Take your time, work through them, see what it's like, familiarize yourself with it. Because what ends up happening, uh, there's a couple of issues. One is that uh, students will turn the MCAT into a even greater beast by thinking about it, uh, uh, buying their MCAT library, you know, putting their stuff aside, and um, just getting more and more uh, nervous about the exam. But it's okay. It's better to familiarize yourself with it. Keep it in your mind. It changes completely the way you study. If you're a freshman and you've seen some of these passages and some of these questions, as you're taking a physics course or a chemistry or general chemistry or even a biochemistry course, you don't even think about it the same way everyone else is thinking about it. Everyone else is thinking about being able to give the knowledge again. But uh, with a little experience with the exam, you start being able to prepare for the exam before you sit down and actually start preparing for the exam because you're starting to think like uh, the AAMC, having the big picture and not just uh, the knowledge uh, details. Students often f- put off practicing. They, wanna, they feel, I need to read a little more before I practice because they hate the feeling of doing poorly. <laughs> they hate that feeling. So they want to avoid it. It's like pain. Why would you want to you know, uh, volunteer for pain? But it has to be an experience of familiarizing with the way the passages are, with the way the questions are, so that it changes the preparation for the exam. You will not prepare the same way, that's for sure, if you have an early experience with passages and questions. You know, it's like uh, it's like the whole idea, uh, you know, you, you were, we were talking about problem-based learning before, PBL. You know, there are some medical schools where students come in from an arts background, an architecture background, biomed background, all these different backgrounds. They sit down, six to eight students in a room, and they're given a problem. 50-year-old man runs down the street, collapses suddenly, holding his chest, frothing at the mouth. What do you do? This guy has an architecture background, another one an arts background, whatever. And here they are trying to figure out, okay, what's in the chest? <laughs> you know, okay, we got the lungs, we got the heart, we got the great vessels. Okay, so they, they learn the anatomy. They learn the physiology. They learn um, what can go wrong. What is the pathophysiology? What can go wrong? And then what is the uh, what are the pharmaceuticals or the, the interventions uh, that can address the problem? So they, they go through this whole process, and then they learn better. They learn more and they're able to apply it to other and different situations so the first thing is not to open up the textbook Uh, it's to familiarize yourself with the problems and the questions it's going it's the way that medical school has been evolving Um, it is a better way for you the student to learn and to understand and to retain and to be able to apply to different situations and uh, it will make yourself, not just a better MCAT student, but a better doctor one day. I love, I love that last one. I love finishing up with that because I, I think as, as humans, and you kind of touched on it, we have this very good ability to build things up in our head and be very scared of them because we don't have any knowledge of them. 
whether that's people of different cultures and races, whether that's picking up a phone and and breaking up with a boyfriend or girlfriend because we don't know how the conversation's going to go, whatever it's going to be, we we are great at building up that that huge wall. Um, and so I love the the thought of a high school student or a, a college student, a beginning college student, just take a look at what the test is and look at the questions and try one out. We're not saying go do a practice MCAT test as a high school senior, but go go <laughs> dip your toes in it and, and check it out. And I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you did draw that line because I mean, there's not hundreds of great full-length practice tests, so it, it is better to hold off on full-length practice tests until y- your preparation is complete. But in terms of working through passages and questions, yeah, it's all out there. Lovely. And there's lots of resources out there to get a, a question a day emailed to you or any of those kind of resources to that are free that you don't need to spend money on. So that's awesome. Brett, thank you for sharing these 10 myths with us. You kind of hit up upon it earlier that you've been writing tests and websites and everything around the MCAT now for a long time. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing in the MCAT space? Sure. Uh, basically, the one thing that we uh, we started with, if you could imagine, we used to have audio cassettes, MCAT <laughs> audio cassettes. <laughs> Then we made MCAT video CDs. Even today, no one understands what that is. <laughs> then we developed uh, MCAT uh, DVDs, and we created a MCAT online uh, video library before YouTube existed, <laughs> before Khan Academy, um, and we had a complete um, a library of uh, basic MCAT science videos. And then we developed our online uh, MCAT practice tests. And we had uh, a set of online MCAT practice tests before the AAMC made the MCAT a computer-based test. And uh, then we were the first to, uh, Gold Standard was the first to um, offer uh, 10 tests as a package where students can, um, you know, get 10 tests. And, and And we had that for many years. Now, for the new exam, we have eight tests seven full-length tests and one free abbreviated test that anyone can come to our website and uh, practice with. We also have stunning, right now, uh, 5,000 practice questions, but just within the next few weeks, it'll be over 6,000 practice questions. Students have so many options today. <laughs> Khan Academy has so many um, uh, the AMC, um, we have uh, just a ton of practice questions. And like we were talking about, um, balance between knowledge-based questions, uh, application questions, and then full-length exams. Um, because, you know, I, sh- I strongly believe that that's the balance that uh, students sort of have to go through. So we have the uh, the pro- the um sort of the MCAT practice courses. So that, so sort of like a crash course, which I don't recommend, even though we have it and <laughs> offer it. I don't recommend students take the crash course. And uh, But we have a, a MCAT university program and a home study package. Uh, but we also have exams available separately. So students can actually buy one exam for $20, which is the least expensive that any uh, company uh, offers as exams. And I do suggest, you know, 
know, uh, uh, you know, I heard you say the nicest thing. I don't know if I can find it, but uh, um, collaboration, not competition, something like that. That's, that's my motto. <laughs> it's, it's it's really wonderful. And so we actually have packages in which we include uh, some material from exam crackers. We include all of the AAMC materials and 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 so on. So yeah, we do we do believe that um, having some uh, resources from different companies uh, may help to optimize student score. But don't buy everything you see because then you end up with your personal MCAT library. <laughs> and you and you have analysis paralysis. There's too much so you choose nothing. Absolutely. That's awesome. And so gold hyphen standard is the best place for people to go? Uh actually mcatprep.com. Oh, mcatprep.com, that's even better. Um awesome. So mcatprep.com Brett, is there any last parting words of wisdom that you have for the student listening? Last parting words of wisdom. I'd like to uh, share a quote from uh, someone who once attended my alma mater. Uh, it's um, Actually, it's not a direct quote from him. It's a modified, um, I just modified it a little bit, <laughs> from Sir William Osler. And that is, the good doctor cures sometimes... Diagnosis often, but comforts always. And you can take that to your medical school interview. All right. Again, that was Dr. Brett Ferdinand from MCAT-PREP.com. If you want to save some money and you've been looking at MCAT Prep's products, you can email learn at MCAT-PREP.com with the discount code discount code goldstandard528 in that email to set up that discounted purchase with MCAT Prep. They're going through some website changes, so that's the best way to get their discount right now. Shoot an email, learn at MCAT-PREP.com with the discount code goldstandard528. Obviously, I know a lot of you are driving or working out right now and don't have access to, to write all this down. You can go to our show notes page, our blog post specifically for this podcast at medicalschoolhq.net slash 180, and we'll have this information there as well. You can save 20% through June 16, 2016 on their gold standard MCAT practice test three-month packages or their one-year platinum package. After June of 2016, June 16th of 2016, you can still save 10%, which is still awesome deal. Again, on their three-month packages for their MCAT practice tests or their one-year platinum package. All right, that was a lot. I hope you got a ton of great information. Don't forget to check out our mock interview packages that we can do to help you prepare for your interview day. Again, medicalschoolhq.net check out our services menu, and I'll be glad to, to help you on your journey to your acceptance to medical school. Now, last week, I put out a request in the Hangout, which if you're not a part of, medicalschoolhq.net slash group, that's our private Facebook group, which is hopping. It's so active. It's awesome. I put out a request in that group, and I said, we're getting so close to 400 five-star ratings. I think we're at 397-ish right now. 
And so I have a lot of reviews to read. I'll read a couple of them here today. If you want to leave a rating interview, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes, that helps a little bit with our rankings in iTunes. The best way to get the word out for this podcast, though, is to share it with your friends, with your classmates, with your advisors, whoever you, whoever you know that can benefit from this information. Go share it. I want to thank first uh, CC122396, great username, says this podcast is fantastic. After having a difficult time figuring out where to start in my undergraduate journey towards medical school, I gave this a listen and started gaining confidence. That's awesome. That's my goal here. Give you guys confidence as you go through this process. We have a syphilis x-ray says, Dr. Gray is a beast. <laughs> I guess, thank you. He gives great advice and has interesting guests on the pod with cool stories that give me hope that I can one day make it as a physician. Thank you for that review. And we have one more here, Blue92, that says, very helpful for pre-meds. I really enjoy listening to this podcast and find it worth my time. I only wish, and I know this is a very specific topic, that there was more dedicated, there was more dedicated to international students who went to college in the States. Good advice. I'll take a look at it. I know it's very hard, and here's a little bit of information for you right here. You need to go check out the, the MSAR and the college information book to find out what each school's standings, uh, what their stance is with international students. So I know it's a little bit different if you've taken classes here in the States, um, but there's still issues with uh, loans for international students. So that's all I have for ratings and reviews today. I'll have a lot more uh, next week as well since we have had so many new ones, and I thank everybody that has taken the time to do that. I hope you got a ton of great information today. I hope you join us, as always, next week here at the Medical School Headquarters and the Pre-Med Years. Hey, did you know we're launching an MCAT podcast soon? Go to themcatpodcast.com.